0: The reading can be found on page 1153 and is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. That's page 1153. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it now you are the body of christ and each one of you is a part of it and in the church god has appointed first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then workers of miracles also those having gifts of healing those able to help others those with gifts of administration and those speaking in different kinds of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing Do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Ruth, thank you very much. Do have that passage in front of you. We're not doing a series uh, through uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're uh, rather doing a little series called... um, or, or rather looking at their sort of vision thing for this year, which is how as a church we can be good news for this village, and for Taunton, how can we be good news, as well as speak good news, and uh, we're doing some do's and don'ts, things that probably you ought to find in the body of Christ, and things you probably shouldn't find in the body of Christ today. We've taken this title Do Not Be Arrogant, and uh, we hopefully in our prayers heard of some of the ways we can be, but we're going to look Quite specifically about ways that maybe we don't realise we can be arrogant uh, as individuals and as a church. Let's pray together. Loving Father, open our eyes again to Your Word, and then open our eyes to the realities of our lives, and help us to see how Your Word speaks into our lives. Not that we go away feeling guilty, but that we go away. Uh, more dependent on you, that we might become the church you long us to be. Not for our sakes, but for the sake of the world in which we live. For the sake of this village, this town, our front lines. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you know uh, the name Henry Nowen. There are all sorts of ways of pronouncing it. I'm going to stick with that because it's the way I say it, easiest I was reading his book uh, last week, which I think is the best book on Christian leadership I've ever read, and you can read it in about 15 minutes. <laughs> so it's Big is the Writing and the Bigger the Gaps. That's my kind of book. If you don't know Henry Nowen, he was a priest, uh, uh, but also an academic a writer and a theologian working in, a, in the States in the university. And after going through <clears throat> what he describes as a kind of midlife spiritual crisis... He felt God called him to leave it all and become become part of a large community. If you don't know what those are, they are Christian communities that work with those that have severe mental and learning disabilities. They live together in community. And you might imagine that going from the world of academia to suddenly living in that environment was an enormous challenge to him. And he describes some of that at the beginning and end of his book. And he tells the story of being invited to lecture at a conference on Christian leadership in Washington, D.C., and these are, in effect, what he spoke about. When he planned to go, he felt that he ought to ask one of his new community, those with learning disabilities, to come along with him. After all, Jesus always sent people out in twos, so he probably ought to go out in twos. Well, one man, Bill, had always taken an interest in uh, Henry's uh, uh, sort of teaching and the way that he was in the community. In fact, uh, this uh, guy Bill had been baptised, he uh, went along to classes, he really didn't understand what was said, and uh, he was very limited in his ability to express himself in words, but he felt loved and accepted by others at the church, and clearly had been touched by Jesus. So Henry invited Bill, one of those with severe learning difficulties, to Washington DC to accompany him. This is, uh, this is a quote We're doing this together, Bill said at different times in the days before we left. Yes, I kept saying, we're doing this together. You and I are going to Washington to proclaim the gospel. As we stepped on board the plane in Toronto, Bill reminded me again. We're doing this together, aren't we? Yes, Bill, I said, we sure are. Bill did not for a moment doubt the truth of this. While I was still thinking about Bill's trip with me primarily as something that would be nice for him. Well, Nouwen had no concept that Bill would play any meaningful parts in this trip to Washington to address this big conference, until he went. He tells beautifully of how Bill stood beside him. He wasn't expecting it, but as soon as Henry stood up, Bill stood up next to him. And every time Henry finished a page of his lecture... Bill took the page from him and laid it down neatly beside him. Uh, He tells very movingly of how twice as he's speaking about some things, Bill suddenly interjected in front of everyone and said, yeah, yeah, that's right, I've heard him say that before. (laughs) And uh, Henry describes how uh, uh, with those uh, comments, those poignant comments, they kind of earth the talk. And also they kind of burst the pompous academic atmosphere that you so often find at those conferences. And amazingly, this is what then happens at the end. I hope you don't mind me, I'm just gonna read it. After I'd finished reading my text and people had shown their appreciation, Bill said to me, Henry, can I say something now? My first reaction was, oh, how am I gonna handle it, Handle this? He might start rambling and create an embarrassing situation. But then I caught myself in my presumption that he had nothing of importance to say and he said to the audience, "'Will you please sit down? "'Bill would like to say a few words to you.' "'Bill took the microphone and said, "'With all the difficulties he has in speaking, "'last time when Henry went to Boston, "'he took John Smeltzer with him. "'This time he wanted, to come with, he wanted me to come with him to Washington, "'and I'm very glad to be here with you. "'Thank you very much.' "'That was it, and everyone stood up "'and gave him warm applause.' As he walked away from the podium, Bill said to me, Henry, how did you like my speech? Oh, very much, I answered. Everyone was really happy with what you said. Bill was delighted. As people gathered for drinks, he felt freer than ever. He went from person to person, introduced himself and asked how they liked the evening, and told them all sorts of stories about his life in the daybreak community. I did not see him for more than an hour. He was too busy getting to know everybody. And then this is the last comment Henry uh, Nowam makes. As we landed after the conference, I said to Bill, Bill, thanks so much for coming with me. It was a wonderful trip, and what we did, we did together in Jesus' name. And I really meant it. It's a very moving account of the transforming thing, of how his arrogance was challenged. That this guy, Bill, has got nothing to offer. I could do all this on my own and yet didn't just have something to offer, but became transforming in the life of this academic. And it illustrates perfectly the theme of our sermon and our passage today, which is simply this, we need each other. We need each other. And there is a dangerous arrogance that presumes that we don't. We cannot do things on our own. We are created intentionally by God to live most meaningfully when we live in community with each other. God cannot conceive of you and of accomplishing his mission on earth through you unless you are an integral part of a Christian community, the church. When it comes to doing God's work, always, always, we are doing this together. Always. There is simply no place for one-man-band Christianity. I want to show why that's important for us as a church, but also why that's important for our village and our town as well. And I thought I'd look at 1 Corinthians 12, which often is looked at when we talk about particular spiritual gifts, but I want to look at it in its general teaching. And I want to think, I think it says three things that no Christian should ever be heard saying. Three things no Christian should ever be heard saying or thinking. The first is this I can be a Christian without being part of a church. I can be a Christian, but I don't need to be part of a church. Increasingly, I hear that being said uh, around our land. Well, Paul uses this powerful image of the church as the body of Christ, and it's an extraordinarily powerful image. Note particularly verses 12 to 13. The body is a unit, though so it's made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptised by one Spirit into one body. What it's saying is this. If you are baptised, you are not just baptised into Christ, you are baptised into the body of Christ, into the church community. To be a baptised follower of Jesus means you are automatically an integral part of the church. That is, there are no levels of membership when it comes to being a Christian. It's not like you know, joining a club or a, you know, or a bit like getting your, um, uh, you know, your internet security. You can get a kind of bronze level or a silver level or a gold level. You know, bronze sort of level of being a Christian means that you can stay in your comfortable bed on a Sunday morning and keep warm. Because I don't need to be there. I can, I can do Christianity on my own but it's the kind of, uh, you're, uh, But then you can opt in for the premium membership where you get the privilege of an extra special trip to an uncomfortable building at an unearthly hour on a Sunday morning where it's cold and horrible. But you get the joy in your premium membership of being part of a church. That is not the way it works. There is one level of membership. If you're a member of Christ, you are a member of Christ's body, the church. When the Spirit draws you into faith... He connects you intimately into relationship with a whole bunch of other people. To not be part of a church is to say to Jesus, I'm not interested in being part of your body. And I want to go further to say to reject the church is to reject Jesus. Why do I say that? Do you remember Saul before he became Paul? He was persecuting the church. And when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, Jesus identifies himself completely with the church. You cannot have one without the other. Jesus and his church are one. He is the head and the church is his body. Now be careful. And I want to be very careful. The local church is imperfect. How do I know? Because I'm part of one. And because I'm imperfect, I mess things up all the time. I know I'm the cause of hurt in other people's lives. It was true recently, because I had just missed visiting somebody, and I know it hurt them. I didn't go see them for two weeks, and they were hurt by that, and they were rightly hurt by that. And I know that the reason why sometimes people become disconnected from church is often because of the hurt and pain that's been caused to them by that church or people within that church. The church in Corinth was going badly because they were making some of their members feel very hurt and feel like leaving. That is sadly what the church is like around the world. It is not perfect. But that shouldn't stop us having a very, very high view of the church, of the local church, the body of Christ is the most beautiful thing that Jesus has ever created. We're told in verse in Ephesians 5 that it was for his body, the church, that Jesus died on the cross. It was so that he might present the church as a beautiful bride without blemish. We are not yet without blemish. Well, we are in his eyes by grace, but one day we will be without blemish when we're presented to him on that final day, but until then we're not. But we're told in Ephesians 5 that until that day Jesus still cares and feeds cares for and feeds his body the church. We're to love the church. We're to understand however much the church is imperfect Jesus loves it, died for it, cares for it, and we are meant to be an integral part of it. You are designed to be connected intimately in relationship with other Christians. This is not optional extra stuff. This is integral to the life that Jesus has for us. So please, don't ever fall in the trap of saying, I can be a Christian, but not part of a church. Secondly, please don't ever be heard to say, I can be part of a church, but be of no real value or importance in that church. I can be part of a church, but be of no real value or importance in that church. It is tragic when people say that, because so many feel like that, don't they? I meet many who feel that they have no real part to play within the life of a church. Please hear me, I don't believe this is about having a job. And we too easily link this passage to have I got a job, or a job title, or a specific role. That is not it. It is about having a valued place within the the life and the relationships of a local church. Yet many people feel they don't have a place. In Corinth, many were feeling that they didn't have a part to play within that church. Yeah, They were there, but they felt like they didn't matter. They felt like they had nothing to offer, nothing to contribute. They looked at others who seemed more popular, more spiritual, and more able. And that's behind verses 14 to 20. Now, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. You can hear people saying, look, I'm not like them. I can't contribute like they do. So I don't think I've got any part to play. Now, in a moment, I want to look at how others in the body can end up making people feel like that. But I want to say to those of you who are here, whoever find yourself thinking, "I'm a nobody in this church. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to contribute," you need to take Paul seriously, and you need to listen to what he's saying. Look at verse 22. Sorry, no, verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body; every one of them. Do you know that? every one of them just as he wanted them to be you are here because god has put you here you are who you are your personality your gifts your abilities your temperaments your quirks your weaknesses your annoying bits you are here because god wants you to be here and be careful before you tell god that he's got it wrong The fact is, the reason you are not like the people that you look at and think that they're so much more gifted, able, and spiritual than you is because those people need you the way you are. You see, you could be the best ear in the world, the most perceptive hearing, but if you have no nose, even a slightly bunged up runny one, how are you going to tell that the dinner in the oven is burning? That's the reality, isn't it? We need one another. Be careful if you ever allow yourself to believe the lie that you don't matter in this church. Even if people are making you feel that way because they're imperfect, God wants you here. You have a part to play. And beware of the arrogance, yes, arrogance, of saying to God, you've got it wrong. He chose that you were here that you are shaped as you are, and he puts you here on purpose. Wouldn't it be wonderful if those of us who sometimes feel like this could begin to get the confidence of Bill? Others may look down, but Bill took it. Gosh, I've got a part to play. Well, I'm jolly well going to play my part. And I think that may be for some of us. Be a Bill today. Don't care what anyone else thinks. God's put you here. Be a Bill. Thank you. But finally, the other thing we should not be hearing in our heads or ever said in our church is this, I can be part of a church but not bother much about others. I can be part of a church but not bother too much about the others in that church. Perhaps this is the deepest arrogance. I'll tell you, it's lovely to hear that testimony earlier, but I always worry when I hear testimony of great things because it can make you complacent, about moving forwards, and I hear too many stories of when it's gone wrong to know that there is a balance always to the great stories. So I'm not trying to play down those, but there are always other stories to tell. And the danger is all of us have the temptation of that arrogance where we become like uh, Henry Nouwen was. Now, he would never have thought in his head, never in a horrible way, saying, oh, Bill has nothing to play, but you know that in his heart, he had begun to do that. Bill, Yeah. It's a kind of patronizing attitude, isn't it? They haven't really got a part to play. Now, of course, there are times when we do inadvertently or sometimes just through being imperfect uh, make people feel that they don't belong here. It happens quite often, I think, when people have been ill or uh, for one reason or another haven't been around for a while and then they're not contacted by someone in the church. And their immediate thought is, gosh, no one's noticed that I wasn't there, which then it quickly leads to, therefore, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not, which very quickly leads to, I have no real value within that church. Now, many of us will be horrified to think that someone thought that, but I've heard that a number of times. There are people who are not here today who have been with us in the past who feel that. And it's a tragedy that they do. Each of us has to realize we are totally dependent on the other people in our church. That's behind verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We need to wake up to the reality that we need the other people here. Turn around and look at each other now. Let's look at each other. Look each other in the face. The truth is, you need the people you are looking at right now. You need them. And they desperately need you. Isn't it interesting? Actually, what this passage says is, we especially need the people who seem to be playing the least influential roles. That's what Paul says here. We especially need the people who appear to be playing the least influential roles. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. Did you see that? Those who are weaker are indispensable. The church cannot do without them. And that's really incredible, isn't it? That Those that we don't appear to touch match value to are actually the most important people. In this church, we need them more than others. What that means is this people in our church who are experiencing mental illness, dementia, or their carers, they don't just need us, we need them. Those who are homebound or frail, those who are going through the mill in their family life, don't just need us, we need them. We've got to change our mindset. We need them. When one suffers, every part suffers with it. When one is honoured, all rejoice with it. We are to be so deeply connected with each other that we care and we matter to each other and what's happening in one life affects all of us. I mean, actually, you think about uh, the situation going on with the Martin Scots at the moment. They need us, they need our prayers and our love. Yes, but do you know what, we need them. Because actually, if we just become immune to the suffering of our world and the pain of people's lives, then that has a detrimental effect on our discipleship. We need, as a church, to be challenged by what it means to stick with somebody when the answers are not there, to deal with all the questions that that brings up in us in faith. We need, we would never choose it, but we need them. For ourselves, it isn't just that they need us. That's what interdependence, interconnectedness needs. You see, the greatest danger, I've said this before, but if you go to any Christian conference with church leaders, they'll tell you what is the greatest challenge in their church it is a consumer attitude. It is a consumer individualism. When I come to church, does it meet my needs? Do I get the spiritual high that I want? Do I get the type of sermon I like? Do I get the kind of worship experience I like? Did someone greet me? Did I get a comfortable seat? Well, you won't ever get that in this church. Did it fit into my schedule? Did it fit in with my day? We assess the the worth of church in how it suited me. But Paul's vision of church is always the opposite. It is about others. How do others contribute to me? Sorry, how do I contribute to others? You know, I'm convinced that Jesus has given us church as an essential element of our discipleship. If we weren't bound together as closely as we are, how would we generally learn how to love and be patient with and forgive and bear with and all those things that are the basic essentials of Christian discipleship? And because if we can't do it with our brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we ever going to do it with our village and the people around us and those on our front lines? How are we gonna show inclusive love of the outsider for the person who's different, who's poor, who's a prisoner, who's a refugee? How are we going to be a place that says, you matter to God no matter who you are, no matter what your background? How are we gonna be good news to this village unless we are being good news within the church? Unless we enable those who feel excluded to feel that they are the most important members of our church? How will we ever do that outside? You see, we live in a world where loneliness and isolation is serious. I think it's probably the most serious thing that challenges us in this village. And I was shocked when I read this in a recent report, that uh, loneliness and isolation has an effect on human uh, human health equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It is a more serious health problem than obesity, and loneliness increases the likelihood of mortality by 26% in this country. You see, our village and our town needs to know what it is to find loving community where people are cared about and they matter. We need to be a church that takes seriously the truth that everyone matters, that everyone belongs. We need to show it day by day, not just in our church, but on our front lines. How can we together and separately, day by day, show people that they matter, that they are valued? What might it look like in our village, in our workplace, in our streets? What practical steps might it take for us to reveal to them the truth that they may never, ever have seen before? Well, that's the challenge for me this week, and it's a challenge for you. And I wonder if you might come back next week and tell me what you discovered and how you were able to show people that they were valued and that they mattered. Amen.